Good morning, TCC. It's good to be with you this morning. We're talking about joy this morning, and I think next year we'll make this ugly Christmas sweater Sunday, and we can all bring our sweaters and make one another smile. The question that Norb asked us for our reflection time, what brings you joy? That is an important question that I think requires our attention. And not just in December, as Jenna pointed out in our kids' spotlight, but throughout the year. What brings a smile to your face? What makes you happy? What fills you with delight? These are important questions. And as I reflect on them, even in my own life this past week, I I had this moment with my one-year-old where um, I had just swept and cleaned all the floors. Parents, you've probably had this happen. You've just cleaned up. You're doing great. And then I see my little one-year-old who's just started walking. She has her cup of Cheerios, and she's walking. And she's scattering Cheerios all over the floor. And then my three-year-old comes through and steps on them. And now there's Cheerios. Anyway. And it was one of those moments where I was like, ah. And that moment of frustration just erupts into this joy. Watching these kids be kids and doing what they do. um, And just being blessed by that. Every single day we're full, we have moments of happiness, moments of joy, moments of delight. Uh, For some of us, it's the simplicity of sitting down in the morning with that first cup of coffee and having that first sip when the day is still quiet. Or maybe it's a time with a, a friend or a spouse or a colleague at work or a friend at school where something happens, you experience something and you look at one another and a smile fills your face and we're full of joy. And of course, the Christmas season, we seem to be surrounded with all sorts of joy prompts or happiness prompts, whether we're at a mall uh, or driving in our cars, listening to the radio, whatever it is. Our culture wants this to be a season and a time of joy. And absolutely, the, the emotions that we feel in this time should not be limited to this time of year, but should follow us uh, throughout the year. Well, in this season of Advent, we sit in the anticipation of Christ, Right? Not just the anticipation that was once felt by a people longing for a Savior, but the anticipation that you and I feel even today as we long for Christ's second return. And during this season, we remember hope. We remember peace. We remember joy. And we remember the love that we have because of Jesus. And as we've been talking about already this morning, we turn our attention today to the topic of joy or the topic of happiness. I just finished reading a book recently um, by an author named James Houston. And this isn't working. Give me a second. Oh, now I'm too far. An author named uh, James Houston and who wrote on, in his book, The Pursuit of Happiness. And he writes this, that happiness is actually no laughing matter. It is the serious business of humanity. It is made all the more serious in our world's current state if we do not find the right prescription for the well-being of the human race. He's right. When we look at our world, people are searching and chasing down happiness. They're chasing down delight. We want to feel happy. It makes sense. It is an impulse that is a part of what it means to be human. So the question of how do we come to find happiness, how do we come to find joy, is actually a very serious question, a very important question. So this morning I want us to look at Scripture and we'll kind of unpack a a biblical theology of joy or, or happiness and then ask the question of how do you and I grow as people who are full of joy? 
So what is joy in the Bible? What is joy in the Bible? Well, this word joy, I, you know, I've heard in, in sermons and stuff in the past and, um, that there's, there's a significant difference between joy and happiness. And I think that that's a, an interesting sentiment, and I can understand the value in it. But if you do a very quick, very small Bible word study on blueletterbible.com or jump into a lexicon, uh, you will see that the word joy and happiness are practically synonymous throughout Scripture. Uh, that the idea of joy or delight, the idea of, of um, even within the, this range of words, we have words like praise, to boast, to exalt, the disposition of being happy or grateful, all find, them, these words all find a home in the same place. The Bible doesn't seem to make a big distinction between happiness or joy. And so this morning I'll be saying joy, happy, or delight basically interchangeably. And when we look at Scripture, we see that it, the whole idea of this joy or delight finds its home initially in Genesis chapter 1. Scripture illustrates the reality that we have joy from experiencing good things. And if you open up in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, there's this continuing refrain throughout the creation narrative of God looking at what he's created and calling it good. And then after he creates women, he says it is very good. We can draw our conclusions from that. But we have God at the beginning of creation as he's creating the world, as he's creating people, taking delight having joy in, being happy with these things that he has created. And we see in the Garden of Eden, we have a series of perfect relationships. God is in perfect relationship with humanity. Adam and Eve, humanity, they're in perfect relationship with one another. And we see humanity in perfect relationship with creation. So it's this picture of bliss, this picture of utopia, this picture of every day there's just delight and joy and and it's fantastic and wonderful. We go on to read in Scripture that from this creation, humanity yields all sorts of delight. In the Psalms, it talks about the joy and delight that comes from a good harvest or from crops being bountiful. We have verses that talk about how good food and good drink bring us joy. Can I get an amen? I experience that all the time. In the Song of Solomons, we read about husbands and wives within this relationship of marriage bringing one another joy, delighting in one another. In 1 Samuel, we read about joy or delight coming to the nation as they experience victory in war. In Proverbs, we read verses about joy and delight welling up inside of people as God's justice reigns on the earth. So we have throughout the Old Testament all these pictures of of humanity experiencing joy and delight and happiness and pleasure from the good things that God has created. And I think that you and I experience this in our own lives. Be it a good meal with a friend. My wife and I the other night just sat down. We watched a good movie together. We laughed. We had a great time. We were happy in that experience. We enjoyed it. We can think about our day and just... Remember moments of joy or happiness. John Ortberg in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, talks about the posture um, that we can have, a posture of celebration, that it's this, oh, the dee-da day, is kind of how he describes it. That as we go through life, we experience celebration as we give thanks back to God. We all have these experiences that the difficulties of a season kind of maybe Sit, are set aside for a second as we experience that joy and that delight. 
So first we see that the Bible speaks to the reality that good gifts that God gives brings joy. God creates the conditions in which you and I experience joy. But Scripture also illustrates that the reality that the joy experienced from these things can easily be lost. Right? So we'll go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. God creates this world where joy and, and delight are possible. But as, as quick as Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve kind of giving in to this desire in their heart. This disordered love that's inside of them. This longing to be like God. And as they give in to that longing, what happens? They sin. Sin enters the world. The perfect relationship between God and humanity, broken. The perfect relationship between the husband and the wife and within humanity, broken. The relationship between humanity and creation, broken. And we see that the delight and the joy that was experienced in those things seems to be taken away at different times. And we read throughout the Old Testament the journey of the people of God who move kind of into this place with God where they're experiencing his blessing and then like Adam and Eve, chasing after other loves, finding themselves away from God and finding themselves in very difficult situations and very difficult, difficult situations and difficult circumstances where they are not experiencing joy at all. A passage in the Psalms that highlights, for this, is, highlights this for us is Psalm 137. Israel's disobedience results in their exile, and now they're sitting in Babylon, and the people of Babylon are saying to, to the Israelites, hey, sing us some of your Israelite songs. We love when you guys sing. Can, can you just play some music for us? And from that kind of experience, someone writes these words, that by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres. So they took their instruments and they set them aside. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Their joy had been taken from them. The blessing, the, the delight that they had in, in living in God's land and experiencing the blessings of being his people in that place, living in right relationship with him, was shattered in their disobedience and their exile. We too, like Israel, experience these seasons in our life where there's a call for joy. We, we want to be happy. We want to experience joy, but we find it so difficult. Or we feel like when we enter into joy, it just maybe feels a little bit fake. So as much as Scripture points to the idea that we experience joy and delight in the things God's created, it also points to the reality that the joy experienced from these things can be easily taken away and I think the bigger theme in Scripture is that it points to a lasting joy given by God and found in God alone. Scripture points to a lasting joy given by God and found in God alone. And friends, this is what we're ramping up to celebrate on Christmas morning. God, the giver of joy, recognizing that, that all the longings that we have to experience joy in the things he's created, that as good as that is, it's, it's not all we were made for. And to have a joy that is lasting and enduring no matter our circumstances. God sees our need for that. Not only does he see, see it, but he provides for it. 
The passage that was read for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 35. The, and the, the ransom of the Lord. So these are the ones in Babylon who, who are singing, saying that. How can we sing these songs? Those people, the Lord shall return and they will come to Zion with what? Singing. An everlasting joy shall come upon their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Some of you this morning might be here feeling very joyless. I want to encourage you that God has something for you where gladness and joy will erupt and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is an important theme in Scripture. Friends, the attempt to achieve joy or delight outside of its proper root in God, it just doesn't work. One of the books of wisdom literature in Scripture is called Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, the writer goes on and on about all of his pursuits for joy and delight and happiness. And he, he finds all of them. He's like, I experienced all the good things that the world had to offer me. But what did it amount to? He said nothing. For him, it ended up being meaningless. In the book I referenced earlier, author James Houston, he masterfully illustrates that happiness or joy pursued in pleasure, in the pursuit of peace of mind, or in the hope of a brighter future apart from God is completely and totally fleeting. And all of this brings us to our text this morning. Our text this morning which communicates to us that God gives himself as a source of joy. God gives himself as a source of joy. We come to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we have the birth of Jesus. And immediately following the recording of, of these events, we get this picture of these shepherds watching their sheep in the middle of the night. They were kind of on the night watch. And I can guess that they're sitting out there kind of grumbly, maybe. Maybe they, maybe they kind of drew the short straw and they didn't want to be out there that night or whatever it is. But they're probably tired. They're probably sitting there just exhausted from the day. The night is feeling long. It feels like it's dragging on. When will this end? And we're told that these angels appear to them. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And what happens? Well, they're filled with great fear. And the angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The shepherds are rightfully afraid. (laughs) Was this some sort of threat from heaven? Was this something that the Romans were doing and now they're coming after the shepherds? Were their flocks at risk of being harmed? Were were they going to be put in a situation that they really didn't want to be in? The angel said, fear not. I'm not here to bring you harm. I'm not here to oppress you. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to bring you a message. A message of good news, of great joy. Let's unpack this message really quick. So why shouldn't the shepherds be afraid? Why shouldn't the shepherds be afraid? Well, first they're told that it's good news. 
good news. In the, in the Greek, it's euangelion. This is where we get the word gospel. Whenever you read in scripture the word gospel, our modern word evangelism comes from this Greek word euangelion. And if you're curious about that, we just did a session in Equip on, on sharing your faith or, or gospel proclamation as a practice. Uh, so we unpack some of this a little bit more. But this word euangelion, not only does it mean good news, but it was a, a word in the ancient world that was usually reserved for, um, for these really important announcements. Chief among those would be the birth of a king or the victory in war. So if a messenger came to a town or a city and said, Euangelion, Euangelion, good news, good news, people were expecting some sort of decree from, the, from royalty about the birth of a king or the victory in war. So the angels are coming and saying, good news, good news. Whatever this is, it's a big announcement. Well, what is this good news? Well, just before we get to the good news, not only is this good news, but it's great joy. Great joy. And this, the word, the, if you were to phonetically read out the Greek word for great, it's mega. Mega joy. Mega joy. Mega delight. Mega happiness. This is the message we come, we come with. It's good news. It is mega joy. Well, what is this message? Why, why should I be full of joy or delight? Well, for unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. And this will be a sign for you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. So this good news, what is it? That a Savior is born. A Savior is born. One of the Greek lexicons I, I was looking at talked about how this word savior or salvation uh, can sometimes be translated into the, the idea or concept of happiness, which I loved. Because it's like the savior, he, the savior is a bringer of happiness. A savior is born. And you think about these shepherds living in Bethlehem under Roman rule, oppressed by the Romans. A savior is born to you. He is the Christ. This word Christ, it's the same. Whenever you read the word Messiah, Messiah or Christ, these are the same words. Uh, it means the, the anointed one. That clarifies things, right? No, it's even more confusing, right? Which basically, it's like God's chosen one. You see, back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve, after Adam and Eve sin, God kind of gives these three curses. The first is to the serpent, the second to the woman, the third is to Adam himself. But the, the curse to the serpent, he says in there that basically the serpent will have his day. He says that the, the child, of the descendant of man, will come and crush your head. <laughs> so there's this anticipation in the people of Israel for this serpent crusher, the one, the one who came and first made everything bad, the one who tempted Eve. There's this hope that one is going to come and crush his head. And this was God's chosen one, his Messiah. In the law, we read about the one greater than Moses will come. When I spoke on hope a few weeks ago, we talked about in Isaiah he, how he refers to this baby being born. So within Israel, there was this hope and this anticipation for God's chosen one, his anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, to come. See, Christ is so much more than Jesus' last name, you know. He's God's chosen one, the Savior of the world. The angels also call him the Lord. Which was not just to point to his authority, but also to invoke the Old Testament name for God. God, the Lord. 
God himself. To those shepherds, this message was that the time has come. What you have been waiting for is here. Your hope, your salvation is here. All the answers to your heart's deepest questions are about to be given. The peace that you've been longing for is here. The hope that you've been holding in your heart is about to be justified. The joy that you've been longing for, the hope that you've been longing for, it's coming. It's here. It's here. And friends, this is so much more than a story in a 2,000-year-old document. The good news is the same today. It's the same today. As the New Testament unfolds, we see that because of this baby, because of Jesus, we can experience that life of happiness, of joy, of delight, no matter our circumstances. That unto us, unto you, unto me was born that day, some 2,000 years ago, a baby who is a Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And not only is the good news the same, but the invitation is the same. As the angel said to those shepherds, come and see this baby So through the lips of God's people for generation to generation, we've been saying to one another, come and see. Come and see what God has done. Come and experience life and life to the full in the person of Jesus Christ. Come and see. Come to the one who created you. Come to the one who knows you. Come to the one who loves you so deeply. Come to the one who cares about you experiencing joy and delight and happiness, not in some temporal sense, but in one that is lasting and enduring, no matter your situation, no matter your circumstance. Come and see. Come and see. Friends, as the time had come for those shepherds, the time presently remains for us today. Good news, mega joy. Do you feel it in your bones? So while the circumstances or experiences that bring joy may come and go, God provides himself as a source of joy. Joy from God is constantly available and never changing Because what the world offers, it really is all fleeting. I can enjoy a great cup of coffee, but that coffee is going to cool off and not be so good by the time I get to the bottom of the cup. I can have great moments with my kids, but 10 minutes later, right? (laughs) We might not be having such a great time. We can can attain all sorts of finances. We can have all these great experiences. We can go on wonderful vacations and all these things are good. All these things rightfully bring us joy and delight. But the experience of those things is not lasting or enduring. The experiencing of those things is subject to change. All these can actually become a threat to our joy rather than a source of it. And the New Testament continues on from the birth of Jesus That because of him, joy, there's a joy available in Jesus. Because of Jesus, because of his spirit, Paul actually commands us to be a people of joy. Both in Philippians as well as in 1 Thessalonians, there's the command. Rejoice. Be full of joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, he's kind of erupting with this proclamation of what the gospel is. and, And in that he says, in this you rejoice. 
The Bible seems to teach that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you and I should be people of joy. That when people look at our lives, they see someone who is full of joy, who's experiencing delight and happiness. In Romans chapter 5, as well as James chapter 1, we read that the joy is, this this joy from Jesus is to be so great and so present with us in the midst of all trial, all difficulty, and all of our pain. And that seems so counterintuitive, but it's not. Well, as I meditated on Luke chapter 2, the command of the shepherds really stood out to me. Fear not. And the reason it stood out to me was not because I was being faced with some sort of angelic being that surprised me in the middle of the night. But the reason it stood out to me is that when I think about myself, I don't necessarily always feel like the most joyful or happy person. I see in my own life a tendency to get caught up in fear, anxiety. Sometimes I find it difficult to be joyful or happy. I actually had to borrow this sweater this morning. I don't even own a a fun, exciting, ugly Christmas sweater. When people look at my life, they might not necessarily say that Adam is the funniest or most energetic or exuberant person. And that's okay. But I know that I have my down days. I have my days where joy feels like it's miles away. And so when I think about this, I wonder, God, are you calling me to insincerity? Are you calling me to just put on a happy face no matter how I'm feeling inside? And as I prayed about that and thought about that, the answer was this loud, resounding, no. God's actually, he's not inviting me to insincerity. He's inviting me to turn to him and experience deep and lasting joy. In my joylessness is an invitation for me to come to Jesus, the source, the fountain, the abundant one of joy. So for the rest of my time this morning, I want to answer this question, how do we become people of joy? And I want us to turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 8, where we'll spend the rest of our time. I was listening to a sermon in preparation for this one uh, by John Mark Comer from Bridgetown Church, of course. Um, and in his message on joy, he took, he took his congregation to Philippians 4. And so I'm completely ripping him off. But my prayer is that it will be an encouragement to you this morning. Um, as we look at what, he, what John Mark calls um, Paul's boot camp for joy. In Philippians 4, verse 4 to 8, this is a familiar passage If you grew up in the church, you probably memorized this in Sunday school or Awana. We read, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. So there's three points here I want to make. How do we become people of God? Well, first, we need to recognize 
Again, the command to rejoice. This is a command. Same in 1 Thessalonians. We are commanded to be people of joy, okay? I want to be very clear on that. We are commanded to be people of joy. Uh, That's what Scripture is calling us to, commanding us to do. So how do we do that? And when we think about that, we need to remember what's the, the context of Philippians. Is Paul sitting on a beach and enjoying life and everything is fantastic? Absolutely not. He's in prison when he writes this. And if he can write this from prison, I think we, uh, we, can, we, we can apply this to our lives this morning as well. The first thing, for how do we become people of joy? First, we draw near. We draw near. Paul reminds us that the Lord is near. And that by prayer and supplication, we're to make our requests be made known to God. In this, we need to see... We need to be as, we need to, if we want to be people of joy, we need to get as close to the source of joy that we can. If we want to be people of joy, we need to get as close as we can to the source of joy. Does that not make sense? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes these words. He says that good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand them out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. How do we become people of joy? We draw near to God. We draw near to God. Friends, and I believe that one of the things that happens for us is that our culture has trained us to be so consumeristic. I can order something off Amazon and it will show up at my house within 24 hours. (laughs) That's pretty immediate, right? If I want it, I want it now and it's coming to my house now, that's wonderful. Whenever we want something, any compulsion we have, our society is set up so that it can be satisfied. You want hot water? Turn on the tap. You want a hot shower? You jump in the shower. The water is warm. Immediate, instant gratification all of the time in our culture. It wasn't always this way in the world. But because of this, I think what happens is when we're feeling sorrowful or we're feeling like things are not going well in our lives and we think, well, the good Christian thing to do is to pray or to be with God. And we go to that time and we don't experience instant gratification. We don't experience instant joy. We get discouraged. So what do we do? We stop drawing near. And we begin to draw near to other things. And we've lost the patience or the endurance to sit with the Lord in silence and solitude and meditate upon Him and wait for that joy to come. And it might take more than 30 seconds. It might take more than an hour. Our church has been doing retreats of silence and solitude where a group of people have been going to a retreat center for for a full day and they spend six hours in silence and solitude. Why? To draw near to God. And if you ask any of them for their testimony, they'll say, it's absolutely amazing. So I encourage you to consider how you might participate in that. And friends, as I was watching the video of of the kids saying what brings them joy, when Natalie was reminding us that God can lift the world, God can lift her couch, God can lift everything, God can lift a Nike Nike. I don't know what a Nike Nike is, but friends, if God can lift all of these things, and he can, he can lift your spirit as well. He can lift you out of that depression, out of that anxiety, out of that sadness. Natalie knows it. My daughter knows it. She's three. I don't always remember it. We need to draw near. 
We come to Him in prayer. We make our requests known to Him. We spend time with Him. In prayer, we abide with God. And we allow the fruit of God's Spirit in prayer to come to us. And what is that fruit of His Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It goes on. So the first practice or activity is be present to God. The second is thanksgiving. The second is thanksgiving. The prayerfulness, the presence with God is to be one with a thankful heart. Um, John Mark Comer highlights two activities within this. The first is the activity of redirection. So thanksgiving as an activity of redirection. Um, And redirection is the idea that when we experience something frustrating or something that robs us of joy or we feel like, man, this moment sucks, I'm frustrated, we redirect it. So my experience with my one-year-old throwing Cheerios on the floor, you know, I had every opportunity to be frustrated because I just cleaned the floor. But there was a redirection that took place and it turned into Thanksgiving. God, thank you for this three-year-old. Thank you for this one-year-old. It's when you are walking outside on the slippery ice and it's cold and you're frustrated that it's icy and you're frustrated at your neighbor for not shoveling their walks the way that you think they should. Um, And in that moment, instead of being angry and allowing that to overwhelm you, you stop and you say, God, thank you that I have two feet that I can walk on. Thank you for the balance that I have. Thank you that we were able to shovel the walks. Thank you for the nice weather we've been having. And we redirect those moments of frustration to joy. Because the reality is that disappointments come. Frustrations come. We think about in our current situation, the restrictions that are imposed on us by the government. In the midst of those restrictions, it's an opportunity to be thankful for technology. Be thankful for our phones and the ability to reach out. Be thankful for our own health and our friends. The second is a practice of, it's allowing these practices to become a ritual or having a ritual of thanksgiving. And to this, I ask you the question, in what ways do you habitually give thanks? Do you have a praise practice in your own life? You know, something that my family does, we we try hard to, and it's almost, it wasn't even something we decided we were going to do, but at the dinner table, asking the question, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for today? That is a Thanksgiving ritual. And something that small over time begins to work in our hearts that allows us opportunity to become more joyful people, I really believe. So be it maybe you drive in your car, you get to work, before I get out of my car, I'm going to give thanks. Or at the end of your day, before I go home, I'm going to give thanks. Or when you're putting your kids down at night, before we put them to bed, we're going to give thanks. Asking the question, what am I thankful for today? So you might want to work in um, practices or habits of thanksgiving into your day-to-day routine. So that second practice, the practice of thanksgiving, and we can consider both redirection and ritual as ways to do that well. And then thirdly, in Philippians chapter 4, we are invited to look after our minds. Look after your mind. Curate your mind. What are you putting into your mind? It's interesting. Notice in verse 6 of chapter 4 here in Philippians Uh, that Paul's actually contrasting joy and anxiety. He says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And it seems like we have an opportunity to choose between joy and anxiety in in different situations and circumstances. And I think the problem is, is that sometimes we don't care for what we're putting in our minds. We don't realize that what we're putting into our minds is cultivating in us either joy 
or anxiety. You know, I heard a story of a woman um, who was baking cookies for a Christmas gathering. She's having her friends over. She's making all of these cookies and pulling them out of the oven. Um, and as they're cooling, she starts to eat them. And uh, just kind of repeats, does another batch of cookies, keeps eating the cookies. Another batch of cookies, keeps eating the cookies, offers her kids cookies. Well, by the time her friends came over, she turned and realized that she had no cookies left. They had all been eaten. And when I think about that type of a thing, you know, it's unfortunate. She's out of cookies. But the purpose or the goal that she had to cook, to cook cookies for her friends was basically worked against by herself. Her desire to provide to her friends cookies was frustrated and put to end by her desire to eat the cookies. <laughs> and so by the time her friends came, there were no cookies left. I think that we do this in our own lives. We have a good desire, let's say, to be joy-filled people. But then we spend hours of our day filling our minds with things that do not bring joy, but rather cultivate anxiety. The things we choose to put into our minds may be counterproductive in us in leading us to becoming more joy-filled people. And what does Paul invite us to? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You want to cultivate joy in your own heart, think about such things. Are there movies you're watching that are taking you away from joy? Are there news feeds and and social media feeds that you're interacting with that are actually robbing your joy? You need to ask yourself, what are these things cultivating in me? Is it cultivating a heart where I'm thinking about what is honorable and just and true? Or is my interaction with my social media feed cultivating something very different in me? I think sometimes when we think about this, we are mindful of, well, there's things here that I don't really want to give up. I enjoy these things. You know, it might not be totally what God wants, but I enjoy doing these things. I love these things. I think we need to recognize that God is calling us to something so much greater. In all this talk on happiness, uh, James Houston in his book makes this reference. He says that Jesus does not destroy our person. He always enhances and deepens it. And when I think about these practices of thanksgiving, of being present to God, of, in, of engaging uh, in, in um, looking after my mind, in all of it I see Jesus inviting me to something deeper. To something deeper. I think the activity that comes in looking after our minds is that of repentance. Of coming to God and saying, God, I, you know, all these things I'm thinking about, I, these things are not honoring to you. I give them back to you. I repent of them. Repentance is is changing your mind about something and and going a different way. It's a change of direction. And so we give those things back to God. We repent of thinking about things that are not honoring to Him. And we choose to think about the things He's called us to. Well, I want us to engage in these activities together here this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as they do... Of these three practices, thanksgiving, of being present to God, of of repentance, I just want to lead us through a time of prayer uh, together as the worship team comes. And we'll just give an opportunity, we'll be to give thanks, to engage in being present to God, and then to repent perhaps of something in your own heart uh, that you've allowed to come in and 
steal your joy. Let's pray together. Father God, as we gather in this place, Lord, we thank you that you are the author of joy, that you created it. And God, that that you invite us to delight. You invite us to be full of joy. You invite us to come to you to find happiness. And Lord, thank you that that is one that is, is not fading, but it is one that is lasting. And so, Lord, we look to you this morning. And in the quiet of this moment, Lord, we just want to turn our attention to you. We just want to turn our attention to you, Jesus. So we just begin, Lord, by recognizing your presence here. That you are near. God, you are here with us. And Lord, we just take a moment now just to give thanks to you. Just in the quiet of this moment, just lift up some thanks, prayers of thanksgiving to the Lord. And Father, we recognize that sometimes we work against ourselves experiencing joy. Sometimes we choose to look to things or look at things that don't give us joy but actually fill us with anxiety. Lord, sometimes we saturate our minds in things that are not honoring or pleasing to you and then we wonder where our joy has gone. And so Lord, in the quiet of this moment, we just bring those experiences, those, those past choices, we bring those to you. And we say we're sorry. Let's bring those before the Lord now. Lord, I'm mindful of the words of, of David when he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And Lord, may we experience that restoration in our hearts. Lord, even this morning in this moment, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Lord, thank you that when the angels came to the shepherds, it was good news of mega joy. And it continues to be good news of mega joy today. So Lord, may we live in the realities and the truth of your gospel. To your honor, to your glory. And Lord, keep us, we pray, from looking for joy or happiness in a lasting sense in in all the wrong places. Lord, may we go to you first and experience in you deep and lasting joy. In Jesus' name, amen.